This morning, as you grab your Bibles and maybe the message outline in your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along that way, I want us to shed every political correct thought from our mind right now, and I want to be real transparent with one another. I want you to think of the honest thoughts that are in your heart and in your mind. What do I do with the hurt and pain that I have in my life? What do you do when you get that phone call from the hospital that says you have cancer? What do you do to handle the painful memories that come back to you over and over again about the dysfunctional family that you were raised in? What do you do when your boss calls you in and says, well, we're, we're still downsizing and we need to let your job go? How do you cope with the ongoing physical pain that you find yourself in? What do you do when the people who you thought you could trust are the very people who turn against you? What do you do in times like that? What do you do when the tapes play over and over in your mind of the things that they said to you that appear to hurt you again and again and again and again? What do you do when that accident happens and all the plans for your future are thrown out the window? Where is God in all of this? Where does all this hurt and pain come from? If God loves me, then why does he allow this to happen? I believe in God, but believing that God loves me can be hard when I think about the things that I'm walking through, the hurt and pain in my life. And expressing love to God becomes difficult if I don't know what to do with the pain and hurt in my life. How do we get to the place where Jeremiah was when he wrote these words in Jeremiah 17, verse 14? O Lord, if you heal me, I will truly be healed. If you save me, I will truly be saved. My praises are for you alone. How do I get to the place where my confidence is that high, where my hope is built in that, where I can begin to see the healing that he has for my life take place? There's five honest questions that I want us to look at this morning. And I think the first one is so important because if we don't have the answer to this first one, everything else that we talk about here today will fall on deaf ears. Where does pain and hurt that we experience come from. All pain and hurt in the world is a result of sin. It's a result of sin. In Genesis 1, 31, we find that then God looked over all that he made and he saw that it was excellent in every way. When God created the world, he created it perfect. The world you and I live in now is different from the Garden of Eden. There was no pain. There was no hurt. There was none of these things in the original creation that God made. But then something happened. The fall came. When Adam and when Eve disobeyed God, they sinned. They went against God and it ushered in not only sin, but with it all the things that come with sin. Pain, grief, suffering, hurt, and a host of other things. In Romans 5, we see that the message paraphrases it this way. You know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma that we're in. First, sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and for everyone. But the extent of that disturbance was not made clear until it was spelled out for Moses in the law. 
When sin came into the world, it messed up everything, and it ushered in hurt and pain that we live with today. I remember the first time I grappled with the thought that because Adam and Eve sinned, everybody else now has to live with the consequence of that sin. Well, we make our own choices, yes, but we all inherit this sin nature, and and with it, everything that comes with pain and with hurt. How fair is that? And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I think for us to understand where pain comes from and hurt comes from, it's helpful to know that it's a result of sin, but it's important to know that pain and hurt often come from the consequences of my sin and your sin. The things that you have said and done, the things that I have said and done, have led to consequences that bring pain and hurt in our life. I was driving my truck in Oklahoma on the interstate, and I was talking on the cell phone. I had a Bluetooth thing going, so it was like halfway safe, and I was deep in a conversation, and I had just purchased a new Case pocket knife. It had a nice wooden handle, and it said the Duke on the pocket knife. It was a John Wayne pocket knife. It's kind of a good thing to have on a pocket knife, I guess. And uh, I was kind of excited about this new pocket knife that I got, and I was in this conversation, and I was opening it and closing it, opening it and closing it as I was driving and talking, and all of a sudden I felt this sharp pain, and I into the phone conversation quickly. I pulled over and I looked down and I had shut the knife on my finger and it cut through the nail all the way into the skin. And I looked at it and I thought, I am ignorant. I mean, this is a stupid thing to be doing. Who should be driving their car, having a phone conversation and playing with a knife, opening and closing it? I I would love to have blamed someone else in the culture we live in. People would look at the box of the knife and say, well, there was no warning that I shouldn't drive and play with this. I couldn't blame anybody else. It was my own stupid choice, my own stupid decision to play with a knife while I was on the phone, while I was driving, not looking at what I was doing. Friend, this pain and hurt that we face, sometimes it's the consequence of our own sinful action. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Often we can bring that upon ourselves. I remember when I was nine years old, I was in Denver First Church of the Nazarene in the basement of that church, and they had a vending machine that was of the rotating type that you would press a button and it would rotate till the different things would come into view. And the the section on the far right, the plexiglass panel had been cracked. And as a nine-year-old, I noticed a great opportunity. Not only was it cracked, the piece of plexiglass was missing. Just large enough for me to get my fingers in there. And uh, the temptation came my way to get that piece of candy. And so I stuck my two fingers in there and I grabbed the Twix with two fingers and started to pull out as my friend hit the button to rotate the machine and it caught my hand inside there. I let out a war hoop and he knew something was wrong as he saw blood trickle down my finger and he ran upstairs to tell my dad what had taken place. He didn't ask me if I wanted this to happen. I'd rather have my fingers amputated than him go tell my dad that I was stealing candy from the church. But I was literally caught with my hand in the candy machine and I I, I couldn't move. And finally my dad came and we had a long talk and the pain was not just with my finger, it was everywhere else when I went through the consequences of that. But to this day, I still have a scar on this hand. I have a lot of trouble with my left hand. I just notice as I talk about it, with cutting my finger and sticking it in places it shouldn't go. But that scar right there reminds me that though God forgives me of my sin... There's often scars on this earth that are left, the ramifications of that sinful choice we've made. The pain and hurt that we face often comes from our own sinful choices. For some of us, the pain and hurt can come from consequences from somebody else's sin. 
you, you didn't make the choice. But you are reaping the consequences of someone else's sinful choice. When we think about 9-11 and the World Trade Center bombing and major things like this in our country where how could this great injustice happen? It is rooted in somebody's sinful, selfish, cowardly choice to have their agenda set at the cost of many, many lives. There are things that you've experienced in your own life that is a great hurt and pain and it's a result of somebody else's sin. Romans 5.14 tells us, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern for the one to come. We're all paying the price for the sinful world that we live in. You see, if, if God is sovereign, if we can understand this, then we need to understand that it's more important for us to trust God than it is to understand God. If he's this all-powerful God, which he is, it's more important for me to trust him than to try to understand him. Many of us, when we don't know what to do with our hurt and pain, we get stuck. We get jammed in the place where we're trying to understand everything, understand God, understand the situation, instead of trusting the sovereign God. If I can begin to see where my pain comes from, the next question that jumps out is, well, if pain comes from sin in the world then why does God allow this pain to continue? Why doesn't He do something about it? If God desired to create a robot that didn't have any choice, then that may be the example. But God loves us so much, He gave us a choice. It's kind of like taking your dog and putting your dog on a 12-inch leash and just so happy that your dog follows you everywhere you go. Well, what choice does your dog have? You've not given any freedom. You take the dog off the leash, then you can begin to see what kind of loving, obedient dog you have or don't have. Does your dog stay by your side or does he take off and run? God loves us so much that he said, I want to have a love relationship with you. I don't want to chain you to me against your will. With your free will, I want to teach you to love me and enter into that relationship with me. God loves us so much that he gives us the free will. And when he does so, at times, we make the choice to sin, which ushers in pain and hurt. Others make the choice to sin, which ushers in pain and hurt. Well, if, if God is allowing this sin to happen because of our free will and choice, then, then why is it that I feel so condemned and I feel so hurt by all these things that are coming into my life? Satan, friend, uses this. To hurt you even deeper. Well, how does Satan use pain and hurt against you? Satan tries to use his pain and hurt to make us question God. Some of you are here today, and I don't have to talk about pain and hurt very long. You know exactly what it is. It's flashing before your mind. The person who did you wrong. That person you trusted who you thought you wouldn't have to keep your guard up. They came and they hurt you deeply. That illness that you've been battling over and over and and you wonder, God, why is this here? This pain and hurt is so much. What do I do with it? The enemy wants to use that against you in a very serious way. He's going to cause you to question God. He's going to cause you to question God in three areas. First, he wants you to question God's power. If God is all powerful, then why do I face this? Friend, Satan is is a master at taking the truth and twisting it. 
Satan is the author of sin in this world. He's the one who tempted Adam and Eve. He's the one who wants to lead you astray. Sin brings pain and hurt. And here, God, who is all-powerful, all-loving, who has all the power in the world and has chosen to love us and give us free will, Satan comes in and says, well, if God has the power, then you wouldn't be hurting. He has twisted it when he is the very one who's ushered in that sin that brings pain and hurt into our life. There's a lot of things that we face that can get us angry and can get us upset, that can get us shaken to the core. And it's okay to be angry at the pain and hurt, but it's important to be angry at the right person. When I hear a lot of what you have walked through and what you are facing now in your life, it can bring anger to my heart. But I want to be angry at the enemy who brings in that pain and hurt. Satan will also get you to question God's character. Well, if he has all the power in the world, then what kind of God is he if he doesn't intervene? What kind of character does he have? When it's not a question of God's character, it's a question of our trust in a God who loves us. And will provide for us through the pain and the hurt we experience. Satan will also get us to question God's love for us. Well, if he's a powerful God, and if he's a righteous and just God, then he must not care about me. He must not love me. He must love somebody else because I don't feel any of that power. I don't feel any of that goodness, that gentleness, that compassion that God has. And so where is God? What do I do with this hurt and pain? Well, friend, recognize Satan is the one bringing those doubts and questions in. He's the one who's brought pain and hurt in through sin. And remember that God takes no pleasure in our pain and in our hurt. In fact, he hurts when you hurt. Matthew 7 says this in the message paraphrase. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for a fish, do you scare him with a live snake on a plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of doing such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? God loves you so much, He's not up there excited about your pain and hurt. He's not oblivious to it. It breaks His heart. He loves you and wants to bless you even through the pain and hurt. It's not just about God's desire to give you free will and a choice that shows His love. But God wants to use the pain and hurt that we experience in our life for the good in our life. Well, what do I do with that question? How does God use this pain and this hurt that I'm facing? God doesn't cause all pain. He doesn't cause all hurt. However, he will use every pain and every hurt for the good of those who trust him. Romans 8.28 tells us this. It says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I think this is one of the, the greatest misquoted passages in all of Scripture. It doesn't say God causes all things to happen. God didn't cause your illness. God didn't cause that person to do that bad thing against you. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who trust Him. He can take even the tragedy that you're experiencing, the pain that you've had in your past, and He wants to work it together for the good, not of just anybody, not of everybody, but for those who trust Him, who love Him, who are living for Him. 
It's not a, if you do this, then I'll do that. But it's, if you follow God, you will put yourself in a place where he can bless you, even through the pain that you're experiencing. The Greek word here, good, in this verse, he will work it together for the good of those who love him, is really a beneficial effect. It's something that's beneficial in effect. And so when he says it's good, he's not saying what you experienced was good. He didn't cause it to happen. But I can bring some kind of benefit out of a terrible situation in your life if you trust me, if you love me, if you follow me. That's Jesus' words for us. God can use our hurt and pain because he has a different perspective and purpose than we do. See, God's purpose is to help us to mature to be like Jesus. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I like what Max Licato says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to let you stay that way. He wants you to be more like Jesus. He wants to mature you into the deep things of God because he wants to bless you. And so he's going to use every pain and every hurt and not waste it. See, God's eternal glory is more important to him than our temporary comfort. It's the eternal glory, not temporary comfort, that he's prioritizing in our life. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, we begin to get our first glimpse of what we can do with the pain and hurt in our life, how we can cope through it. It says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what we have seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we begin to focus just on what we can see here and now, we will always live in loneliness and depression and discouragement and defeat. But when we lift our eyes off of the situation, off of the pain, off of the hurt, and fix our eyes on Jesus and the things that are eternal, the things that are temporary will grow faint in our life. It's not just sweeping it under the rug. It's not just pretend that it's not there. There's a real radical transformation. Friend, God loves you so much that he never wants to waste any hurt in your life. That's number three. Jot that down. God never wastes a hurt. He uses pain and hurt to allow you to help others to find healing and growth. I don't like that truth. I remember when I was struggling with chronic asthma in high school and it caused me to have to drop out of varsity athletics and it was a pretty big deal in my life at that time. And I remember there was this well-meaning person that came up to me and said, Oh, Brady, you know what? All this pain you're going through, God's going to use that in your ministry to help so many other people. You know, that doesn't help at all when someone says that. When you're going through something, you don't want to think about, Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm going through this. I can help somebody else. It doesn't feel that way, but God does something that happens. It's not, well, God loves them more than he loves you, so he's going to have you go through the pain and hurt so you can help them. No. God knows the way he wired us as human beings. 
And when we can be a part of loving and serving and giving to somebody else who's in need, it gives us some of the greatest joy we can experience in life. And so God doesn't want to waste the hurt. He says, I'm going to take that hurt and not only bring healing to your life, I'm going to bring joy to you as you can use what Satan twisted and meant for evil. And you can use it for good, not just in your life, but in the life of somebody else. So I share this not to say, hey, don't worry, all the pain and hurt's no big deal, you can help somebody else. No, God wants to bring healing to you, but he wants to bring joy to your heart as you point someone else to the same healing that you received. God uses the pain and hurt to bring glory to himself. Finally, the last question, how can I find healing from pain and hurt? If I know where the pain and hurt came from, if I know that Satan's trying to use it against me, if I can see that God doesn't want to waste the hurt, he wants to use it in my life, then how can I find healing from this hurt and pain? The first key is in the verse that we started with in Jeremiah 17, 14. Lord, you alone can heal me, you alone can save, and my praises are for you alone. See, before we can allow God to heal us, we need to allow God to save us. I have to let God save me before I can experience His healing. For those of us who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we have all the hurt and pain in our life, God loves you so much, He wants to come and save you from the sin in your life that will eternally separate you from Him and give you healing for your soul and then begin to heal your emotions and then to bring, bring healing to relationships, to finances, to other areas in your life. We need to experience His salvation first. But for an overwhelming majority of us in here, you are already walking in a relationship with Jesus. You are already in that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we take for granted the saving knowledge that Jesus has given to us. And we say, God, I know you can save me from my sin that sends me to hell. But what can I do with this pain and hurt I have? This very same pain and hurt was caused by the very sin in the world that separates us from God. If God can conquer sin, death, and the grave, He can conquer the consequences of that sin, death, and the grave. God can bring healing to you. He is powerful enough. Run to the one who is saving you and allow Him to heal you. Remember that Jesus has been there. Isaiah 4.15 We don't have a priest who is out of touch with reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all for us. Isaiah 53, he was looked down on. He was passed over. He was a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. People looked at him and turned at him away. They looked down on him as if he was scum. Psalm 22 tells us many things that Jesus walked through. He was forsaken, he was alone, he was confused, he was abused, he was ignored, abandoned, he was scorned, he was mocked, he was insulted, rejected, made fun of, he was weak, he was tired, he was engulfed in pain, he was the butt of jokes, he was disconnected, he was a victim, he was a spectacle, he was used and taken advantage of. Jesus has been there. How do I let Jesus heal my hurt and pain? Acknowledge that He has the power to not only save you, but to heal the hurt and pain in your life. And recognize and remember that He has been in the same type of pain that you have. Remember that Jesus has done that. 
Isaiah 53, verse 4. But the fact is, it was our pains that he carried for our disfigurements. All the things that were wrong with us, he bore them. We thought he brought it upon himself that God was punishing him for our for his failures. But it was our sins that did, not, did that to him. It was our sins that ripped and tore and crushed him. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we are healed. I came across a story, a modern day parable this week that speaks to this love that God has for you. That he wants to even take the very hurt and pain that you have upon himself and bring healing for you. Listen to this modern day parable. I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange, like nothing my life, my street sense, my sly tongue had ever prepared me for. Even before the dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of the city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new, and he was calling in a clear tenor voice, Rags! Ah, the air was foul and the first light filthy to be crossed by such sweet music. Rags! New rags for old! I take your tired rags! Now this is a wonder, I thought to myself, for the man stood six feet four and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this, to be a rag man in the inner city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into her handkerchief, sighing and shedding a thousand tears. Her knees and elbows made a sad X. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked to the woman, stepping around tin cans, dead toys, and diapers. Give me a rag. He said so gently, I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up and he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. She blinked from the gift to the giver. Then, as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put her stained, snotty handkerchief to his own face. And then he began to weep to sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking. Yet, she was left behind without a tear. This is a wonder, I breathed to myself, and I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who can't turn away from mystery. Rags! New rags for old! In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops and I could see the shredded curtains hanging out black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall man looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said, tracing his own line on her cheek. I'll give you mine. The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it, and tied it to his own head. The bonnet he set on hers, and I gasped at what I saw. For with the bandage went the wound. 
Against his brow it ran, a darker, more substantial blood, his own. Rags! I take old rags, cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt the sky now in my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more in a hurry. Are you going to work? He asked a man who leaned against a telephone pole. The man shook his head. The ragman inquired, do you have a job? Are you crazy? sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket. It was flat, the cuff stuffed into the pocket. He had no arm. So, said the ragman, give me your jacket, and I'll give you mine. Such quiet authority in his voice. The one-armed man took off his jacket. So did the ragman, and I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in his jacket, and when the other put it on, then he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs, but the ragman had only one. Go to work, he said. After that, he saw a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man, hunched, wheezing, and sick. He took that blanket and wrapped it round himself. But for the drunk, he left a new suit of clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman. Though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely at his forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, sick. Yet he went very fast. On spider's legs, he skittered through the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he'd come to its limits. And then he rushed beyond. I wept to see the change in this man. I hurt to see his sorrow. And yet I needed to see where he was going in such a haste, perhaps to know what drove him so. The little old ragman, he came to a landfill. He came to a garbage dump. And then I wanted to help him in what he did, but I hung back, hiding. He climbed a hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on the hill, and then he sighed, and he lay down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an army blanket, and he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped in a junked car and wailed and mourned as one who has no hope because I had come to love the ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him. But he died. I cried myself to sleep. I did not know. How could I know that I slept through Friday night and Saturday night and its night? But then, on Sunday morning, I was wakened by a violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light slammed against my sour face, and I blinked, and I looked, and I saw the last and the first wonder of all. There was the ragman, folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive. And besides that, healthy. There was no sign of sorrow nor of age, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. Well, then I lowered my head, and trembling for all that I had seen, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame. For I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off all my clothes in that place and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, Dress me. He dressed me. My Lord, 
He put new rags on me. And I am a wonder beside him. The rag man. The Christ. What do we do with the hurt and pain that came into our life through the sin that seemed so unjust that because Adam and Eve sinned, all must face the death that sin brings. But if we read on in Scripture, we find that not only because one man sinned, all must die, but because one man died, all can have life and can have healing. How do we experience healing from our hurt and pain? We need to exchange our pain, the rags of our wounds, of our tears, of our disfigurement, and give it to God and allow Him to give an exchange for His healing. I want to invite you to stand with me and bow your head and close your eyes. We're not going to hang out here long in this format. But I wouldn't feel right if I didn't give you an opportunity to take the pain that you've been so laced with for many, 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 many years and give you an opportunity to lay it at this altar in exchange for the healing that God wants to bring in your life. The same God who had power enough to conquer the sin that was sending you to hell, that same power that can conquer sin can conquer the consequences of sin, the pain and hurt that you're experiencing. If God's speaking to you today and you want to make the choice to allow Him to have healing for you, you can choose to allow the pain and the tragedy to keep you bitter and separated from God and keep, keep a blockage there. Or you can allow God to supernaturally heal you and to even use the pain and hurt that you've had to bring joy to your soul as you help somebody else find the same healing that you've had. If that's you today... As Pastor Edgar sings, I don't want you to wait for anybody else. I want you to step out and I want you to come and kneel as we're going to pray together. You do that right now.